Hello, welcome to the Market Weekly podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist, and I am joined this week by Edward Lees and Ulrich Fugman, head of our Environmental Strategies Group. And we're going to be discussing ecosystem restoration. Now, it's not coincidental. Uh, we're doing this podcast now because we had the World Environment Day on the 5th of June, when the UN officially kicked off its decade of ecosystem restoration which is aimed at restoring the world's ecosystems across oceans, lands, and urban communities. So I'm going to ask the first question to you, Ulrich. Uh, perhaps you can explain for our listeners a little bit what is ecosystem restoration exactly, and probably even more pertinently, why should investors care? Yeah, thanks very much, Daniel. Thanks for having us uh, here on the uh, the podcast. Uh, I think it's a great question. I think um, a lot of focus uh, in regards to climate change and addressing environmental challenges that we have today have been focused around mostly carbon emissions and then it's how to reduce carbon emissions in uh, in in the world around us. But climate change um, is uh, so much more about just carbon emissions. Um, uh, uh, it is also about uh, what we call our natural capital or, in other words, ecosystem services. Uh, and our natural capital is, of course, defined by the oceans, the water, our resources, um, and and how we live off uh, that natural capital. I mean, if you take a, a kind of a helicopter view, of course, we're going to see another 2 billion people on planet Earth by 2035, and that's going to increase rising incomes. We're going to see a high degree of urbanization going from rural uh, areas um, and, and a real overall increase in uh, not only demand for power that we expect to go up by 100%, um, but, but certainly also for this natural capital to such an extent um, that uh, we today are uh, consuming uh, our natural capital about 1.75 times as fast as Earth can really re regenerate it. Uh, and that's a massive ecological footprint. Um, and that's something that's worrying for a number of reasons. Not only if you appreciate like nature like, uh, like we do, uh, but certainly also if you have economic growth and, and interest at heart. And today, more than 50% of the world's GDP, or $44 trillion, either highly or moderately depends on nature and its services. And hence, it's unsurprising uh, and uh, certainly great timing for governments around the world to start focusing on how we not only address the CO2 emissions that we experience, uh, in the atmosphere today, but also are starting to do something about um, our natural capital um, and ecosystem services. Um, and that's in large been driven by a wonderful initiative taken by the UN, uh, as you mentioned in, in the introduction, uh, to really focus over the next 10 years in particular uh, to restore ecosystems um, across the world. But also if you look at some of the key systemic risks that society face uh, today, uh, where the Cambridge University for Risk Studies uh, certainly have helped identify uh, some of the world's most pressing uh, and um, uh, most significant systemic risks that society could face. Those are very much involved around uh, our natural capital. If we think about um, those risks being climate change, um, biodiversity loss, 
natural disasters, human pandemics, agricultural pandemics, um, and other antimicrobiological uh, resistance. So those are areas of, of key systemic risks. And it's what that's kicked off and what it's going to kick off is a significant amount of investing into restoring and preserving these ecosystems uh, such that uh, we can continue to draw value off them, but in a way that's sustainable uh, and uh, and uh, where we can regenerate and preserve that natural capital and live in, in a symbiosis with, uh, w- with that. And that's, of course, around ocean water systems, land, food, and forestry, and sustainable cities and buildings, which this strategy is uh, focused on, on overall. And the World Economic Forum uh, in 2020 wrote a very important paper around um, what that means in terms of a commercial opportunity for companies that are trying to aim at restoring, preserving our natural capital. And and there it's highlighted that um, we should expect about two, a little over two trillion dollars every year in the next decade at least or 22 trillion dollars over the next decade in capital investment and about six trillion dollars in annual business opportunities by 2030 and hence it's um, unsurprising that from an equity market uh, perspective that these companies are receiving a focus in what we otherwise think has been a slightly overlooked area, one that's been so focused on carbon emissions uh, and uh, where we see some incredible opportunities for uh, companies uh, to um, uh, profit um, and uh, generate returns whilst addressing some of the world's most pressing problems um, around our ecosystems. Great. Thanks very much, Ulrich. Next question perhaps for you, Ed. Uh, We think about this movement that's taking place and clearly global attention, but we need to bring it to something that's going to be relevant uh, to our listeners. What do you see as the investment opportunity? What are some examples perhaps that you can give us of company products that contribute to ecosystem restoration? Yeah, so it's, um, you know, I think Ulrich touched on a number of these uh, points, you know, that we're consuming today a lot more than than we can afford to 1.7 times uh, the amount that the earth can supply, uh, both in terms of uh, what we uh, it provides and, and the waste that it can absorb. And uh, this has created you know, a lot of issues. Um, biodiversity is one we haven't, I think, touched on yet. Whereas of last year, about a million species of, of plants and animals were at uh, risk of extinction. Um, this is between 1,000 and 10,000 times the natural extinction rate. So, you know, very marked. Um, and uh, it, it uh, is starting to get the attention of policymakers. So uh, policymakers have launched things like the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosure, following on the heels for the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosure. So more market regulations are coming. It's evident in the type of uh, uh, stimulus bills that we have. You know, Biden's uh, infrastructure spending bill has a lot of uh, green climate and uh, ecosystem spending uh, embedded uh, within it. And uh, as Ulrich mentioned before, you know, we're talking about trillions of dollars. I think Ulrich mentioned the 22 trillion accumulative annual investment by 2030. You know, there's a number of these figures, of course, that that fly around. That one is uh, from a study that was co-authored by the World Economic Forum. Um, but uh, this comes 
to your question about where where the opportunity is come coming from right so you have the problems are driving politicians and companies and then ultimately driving the market opportunity uh and this market opportunity i guess the point is that it, it's large right it's tens of trillions of dollars and uh for us it, it's uh really spread across uh three verticals uh ocean and water systems being one, uh, ecosystems around the land, the other, which includes forestry and food. Uh, but we also have to think about cities uh, as ecosystems themselves in the same way that the UN recognizes them as being, uh, because indeed cities are where you know, we are, we're concentrated and uh, we generate a lot of our waste and, uh, and uh, pollutants that spread out into the rest of the world as well. Um, and, and so within those, there's a number of uh, exciting areas, both for you know conservation, I would say, but also for um, applying new technologies to really solve problems in, in a way. So inst- instead of just slowing down the rate of degradation, which is important, it's also really finding ways uh, to uh, be involved in more regenerative uh, activities using novel technologies. And, and so what are some of these things? You know, certainly plastic is a big area and plastics is something that more and more chemists are, are tackling to create biodegradable plastics, uh, ones that are better at uh, recycling, uh, moving beyond mechanical recycling to different forms of, of chemical recycling to things that can really be uh, cleaned even if it's low quality inputs and you can get you know, food grade quality output. Um, and uh, you know this pr- removes the necessity from using quite as much oil to to make quite as much plastic. And and the chemistry that's involved here is is open doors for other applications as well, where people are using bio inputs now to create chemical building blocks uh, that themselves can create uh, go into a, a wide range of products uh, and. It, produce much less uh, toxic waste uh, for the environment. It's much friendlier for the environment uh, and indeed using uh, much less oil as as inputs. Of course, there's uh, sustainable forestry and uh, there's new ways of feeding ourselves uh, with ag tech uh, doing all sorts of exciting things and dramatically increasing yields and removing the needs for pesticides and removing the need for uh, using much less water. Um, we also see uh, very interesting crossover in biotechnology um, into ecosystems. For instance, companies that are using mRNA to develop new forms uh, of pesticides that are very targeted uh, and removing the sort of collateral damage when you know conventional farming carpet bombs things with toxic pesticides uh, in the land. Um, so th- this is just a new way of feeding ourselves. It removes uh, carbon uh, intense food miles from trucking convoys. It removes uh, a lot of uh, nitrogen and fertilizer spill off that would otherwise go into water streams. And water too, of course, is is another big theme, how we clean it. Uh, the water, the, the world is uh, increasingly uh, uh, living in water stressed areas by 2025. Half the world could be living in water stressed areas according to the World Health Organization. Um, so companies that are finding new ways to clean water as well as uh, new ways to uh, feed ourselves um, uh, through aquaculture. And uh, these are other exciting areas and new ways to reduce pressure on global fishing stocks, You know, find ways to feed fish uh, using algae and sources that don't rely uh, on, on uh, trawling uh, the ocean uh, for more fish as well. So uh, a number of exciting uh, areas here, I would say that's actually fairly broad. You know, it's a, it, once you really dig into the surface, it's broader than you think, but it is more complicated. You know, it's an area where it is harder to address some of these issues head on. 
uh, you do not have publicly listed biodiversity companies, for example. Uh, you have to sort of approach those things from the side. So it does take a little bit more work. I think it makes it naturally more compatible with an active approach, therefore, as opposed to a passive approach, because I think it does require an additional level of uh, thought and analysis. But on a positive um, note, you know, this is an area that's growing all the time. We're seeing more and more companies coming to market uh, with uh, new technologies, new strategies. And uh, uh, as a result, um, this is uh, because of the economic need, uh, unsurprisingly, is an area that's attracting a lot more capital and money. Uh, and we're seeing that in the growing investment universe. I believe you have a strategy that launched around this theme earlier this month. Uh, and that strategy is, in fact, part of a range of environmental strategies. Could either or both of you perhaps explain how this one differs from the other two, which are, I believe, energy transition and earth? Across the environmental strategies group, um, we're focusing on six core themes, uh, three of which belong to energy transition and three of which uh, belong to ecosystem uh, restoration. Um, so today we uh, run a, a three and a half billion euro energy transition uh, fund uh, that are really focused around uh, carbon, particularly from energy related carbon emissions um, uh, spread across three themes, namely renewable energy production, energy tech efficiency materials and energy infrastructure and transportation. And uh, with the launch of ecosystem restoration, uh, we are now adding a dedicated fund uh, to three other themes uh, that Anne and I have been working on uh, for a very long time and happy to now be um, uh, launching here with the ecosystem restoration fund, which is namely across ocean and water systems, land, food and forestry, as well as sustainable cities uh, and buildings, uh, the three core ecosystems uh, that interact with each other uh, that are so important in order for broad ecosystem restoration. We also manage as the last fund uh, within the environmental strategies group, an equity market neutral environmentally themed long short fund uh, called EARTH. Uh, the Environmental Absolute Return Thematic Fund. And that is a fund that really invests across all six themes in a market-neutral manner using long positions uh, uh, directed at environmentally-themed companies across all six verticals and using uh, shorts for short positions really to uh, hedge market risk, factor risk, and other risk, um, as well as uh, companies uh, that either have inferior technologies or indeed transition risk assets. So the way that the ecosystem restoration fund really differs, you know, is not only in the focus on the three natural capital themes with a very limited overlap with uh, energy transition. We deliberately wanted those funds to be distinctly different, but of course a, uh, a rather large overlap uh, with our earth fund that spreads across uh, all six themes. Yeah, there's uh, not much to add there. I, I would just say that there is a little bit of overlap within the sustainable cities and buildings uh, category between ecosystems uh, and energy transition. For example, electric buses uh, as, as something that really helps uh, cities to be become more sustainable. Uh, but it is small and we aim to uh, keep that to 10 to 15 percent. So we really have uh, distinct verticals between 
uh, decarbonization on one side and ecosystems on the other, uh, with Earth being the bridging fund that unites the two of them. Well, I've certainly learned a lot today. You've shared with us that addressing ecosystem restoration is just as pressing as tackling CO2 emissions, especially as it is currently estimated that mankind is using natural resources 1.75 times faster than ecosystems can regenerate. Policymakers are now recognizing that restoring, protecting, and preserving ecosystem services is critical, and this will generate billions of dollars of investment opportunities. Ecosystem restoration represents a broad range of opportunities spanning pollution control and treatment, transportation, recycling, consultancy, and testing. But as there are no listed biodiversity loss companies, stock selection necessitates expertise across multiple environmental technologies. And this means that opportunities can be found across market capitalizations, sectors, and geographies, and notably outside of mainstream indices. Well, that's all we have time for today. If you'd like more information, please check out our Investors Corner blog, or do not hesitate to contact your BNP Paribas Asset Management representative. My thanks to Ed and Ulrich for sharing their insights. Please join us next week when I will be speaking with Karen Azoulay on infrastructure debt. Until then, we hope you stay safe and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.